Hi guys, I'm here. Just giving you a heads up. We had some issues recording this episode, including me using the wrong input on my microphone for the first uh, bit of recording. So it is pretty echoey. If that bothers you, feel free to skip about 15 minutes into the episode and it does clear up. Uh, It's mainly just going over the genre, which the notes for that can be found in our show notes and just kind of our first thoughts. Uh, So feel free to skip ahead. I, I promise the audio does get better about 15 minutes in. Thanks. Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Em. And I'm Anna. This week on Shelf Aware, we are we are continuing my unit on domestic thrillers with, with a classic, classic example of people in some sort of thrilling domestic situation. Uh, with the book Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. Um, so now this is in my brain forever. Yeah. Excellent. Thrilled. Thrilled with the outcome of this, of this gotcha of Gone Girl. (laughs) Really backfired. Um, yeah, what'd you think about this one, Em? Um... Well, you know, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But before we get too into it, let's talk about the domestic thriller. No way. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> let's learn and then rant. Um, okay, so I'm borrowing very heavily from two specific blog posts for this. Uh, one written by Julia Crouch. I'll link them both in the show notes. Um one written by Julia Crouch and one written by uh, Kay Moore on the on mysteryandsuspense.com. But essentially, domestic thriller is kind of one of those things that probably you can point to a lot of earlier examples, uh, but hasn't really been codified until more recently. There were several examples listed in this uh article what is a domestic thriller including uh medea is kind of given as oh i mean it makes sense mm-hmm. the the fairy tale bluebeard is given as another. uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah much rather would have read both of those i know right <laughs> but essentially these are books that are set in as the name implies the domestic space usually focused on women usually there's a lot of like psychological aspects to it family secrets things like that so unlike kind of most thrillers where it's like uh, uh, action packed and filled with crazy locales and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more focused on the interpersonal. It's focused on um, the psychology of the people involved, things like that versus necessarily like spies or, or crime. The term domestic thriller or uh, the term the earlier term for it, which was domestic noir, was coined Mm. by Julia Crouch in, I think, 2013. So that's kind of like, we have these examples of these books like Gaslight and... Mm -hmm. Gaslight, Gatekeep, Girl Boss. mm -hmm, And Flowers in the Attic are predate that terminology, but that's kind of when it sort of became a term and then it becomes very popular with um, Gillian Flynn 
and uh, uh, the Gone Girl of it all. The Gone Girlification. You've got like um, a couple others that I think we've read that the, um, the one with the the two authors. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> you all know. Yeah, you all that know. was way that was way long ago. Uh, Sarah Pacanon, uh Greer Hendricks. one. These, yeah, I agree. These sort of authors uh, are popular nowadays. But yeah, the the mm-hmm. basic traits of a domestic thriller are that it is something that takes place in a kind of uh, smaller sphere, usually like a house um, or you know like a neighborhood, something like that. Um, and it tends to focus more on women than a lot of other thrillers do, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, we can get into the, the feminist of it all, of are domestic thrillers feminist or are they not? Um, but that might be a debate for a later day, because uh, today we're here to talk about Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. Mm-hmm. So uh, V.C. Andrews is a very prolific author in a sense Um I mean, fairly prolific still, I think, but she basically writes a lot of gothic horror um, and family drama sort of stories. I would say having, uh, spoiler, I have read or read the plot summaries of the other books in this series so that I can quiz Anna on it later. Yay. But having kind of read those, I would say this one is probably the closest to what I would consider a domestic thriller. She's written a bunch of books kind of in this sort of vein of very dramatic and disturbing content featuring usually teens at the start, although they then grow up and, you know, it it covers their whole lifetime and things like that. However, she did die in uh, 1986. Um, Mm -hmm. So everything that was published by V.C. Andrews after that, including the stuff that is, I believe, currently being published, um, was and is written by a guy named Andrew Niederman, um, who's been the ghostwriter for her for you know apparently ever <laughs> but yeah she did write almost all of the Dollinganger family series uh except for the final book garden of shadows which did have some assistance from andrew niederman but it was published in 86 so or in 87 so it's like some of it was written by her and some of it was written by andrew it's not really clear but um I wanted to add about about V.C. Andrews. I did look. I just looked at her author photo on Wikipedia. And I swear this is like exactly how I was picturing the grandmother in this book. Mm. Um, So I don't know if I like must have seen her picture elsewhere and just like subconsciously planted it in that book. Or if she's like, I don't know, man. She's got kind of like a the smile on their Wikipedia page is very uh sinister in a way she's looking she's looking a little sinister but you know i'm gonna close out the page and now she's not looking at me anymore i know but here's here was my problem with this book i'm just gonna go into it um is okay i understand that like these are very this could be a very real situation that someone has actually gone through you know we know like child abuse is not is not uh, it's not a fake like it's a real issue right mm-hmm. and and being confined to places and and the types of things that happen to these children are things that could happen in real life and I do think that that like it is important for people to be able to write these stories if they so choose to um and like to share that with the world and for and for others to see that and to like be able to empathize right. But the way that this was written was it was so, like, 
sensational and voyeuristic and just like this weird like this entertainment factor to it that I just was like this is not why why do so many people read this and then and then profess to like reread it continuously and be in love with it I just I that there was a huge disconnect there for me and I didn't you know I don't know about VC Andrews life I don't know what she went through as a child if this is if this is all made up or or parts of their autobiographical I don't know um but to me I was just like the 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 aspect of this that is just like the the entertainment part of it I guess just was did not settle with me very well and at the end of it I was kind of just left with like in like for what for what did we do this to the readers to the characters like why why did any of us go through this? <laughs> uh, one, one of the first things that popped up on Google as a suggested search was, uh, what is the point of flowers in the attic? Yes, and what is the point? Like, <laughs> um, I also feel like very much reading the foreword, which was written by Gillian Flynn. Yes. Um, oh, my gosh. She says a couple things that I'm like, really? She says a thing about like Chris being the stuff of teenage dreams, and I'm like, no, he like, he did a rape. He did a rape, and he's her brother. And also, the the cover of the 40th anniversary calls it like a tragic love story or something. And it's like, not. It should. Oh, I don't understand. Were are people into it because like are they shipping Chris and Kathy? Is that what's happening here? I'm very confused. I yes, I am. I am also. I'm very concerned about the flowers in the attic fandom. Mm-hmm. Um. What are what are your guys' thoughts? Like, you know, if if you like this book, I do feel like there is something compelling that makes like what's going to happen to these children? Are they going to escape? What surely surely it can't get worse for them. And you kind of like at the end of this, you're left with this little gotcha of like find out how it ends in the next book, which was pissed me off a little bit. But like you know, you do you do end up rooting for them and wanting good things to happen to them. So I can see why you would want to continue reading. But I've read mm. some reviews that are like this is this is a very important book that everyone should read. And I'm like, is it? I found it <laughs> like you said. Like I fa- I found it engaging, and I will say I did like Kathy. I think that she was a good lead. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Besides know, like the I- victim blaming. Yes, aside from her her victim blaming herself. Um, But, you know, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, In general, I was like, I didn't feel like she was too... um, Because it it could go either way, right? Of either her being like a sad little damsel all the time or her being like spunky girl and being unrealistic in the situation, you know? Uh I felt like uh she was pretty good middle ground of like, yeah, she, you know, is dealing with this the best that she can and her best isn't always good enough. And like, uh, it, it's a difficult, uh, incredibly difficult situation that she's in. Um, yeah. You know, so I didn't, I didn't dislike her or anything, but just some, like you said, some of the passages, I was just like, did we need to go into like her describing her getting her pubic hair? Like, I don't know. No. I don't know that we did. <laughs> no. Um, which I feel like this might be a good time to, you know, go ahead and throw those trigger warnings out there. Yeah. All of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah. The major ones here. Uh, I'm sure like if you've even remotely heard of this story, child abuse, incest, rape, uh, confinement, uh, death of a parent, death of a child, um, <laughs> everything under the sun. like Attempted 
murder. Attempted um, murder by poisoning. Yeah. Just, uh, successful murder by poisoning. Successful murder by poisoning, uh-huh. Animal uh, death. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. So, you know. Eating stuff. There's a lot of food stuff in here and, mm-hmm. like, um, yeah. Food restriction. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Weight stuff. I would say there is some triggering weight stuff in here, specifically every time they described the six foot grandmother as an incredibly large woman at 200 pounds and me mm-hmm. and my six foot 225 asses over here sitting in G. Thanks. Like, <laughs> thanks so much. I love this for me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is mm, the. I okay. I we'll get into that when we get to it. But like, yeah. I just the grandma. I'm just like I know they were trying to make her intimidating. Uh, one they went about it the wrong way with just like trying to make her seem big, but also like she's an old woman in her like late sixties, early seventies. They could have easily just knocked her down and she would have broken something. Oh, like, sure. <laughs> I don't know, man. Kind of all that being said, with all those warnings, is there anyone we would recommend this book to? Ugh, that's a great it's a question. Hard one to recommend. It's a hard yeah. one to recommend because I really feel like so much of it is like stuff that could be troubling even for people who haven't don't have those triggers. Like I was squicked out by quite a few bits of this yeah. book. No, um, I I told you this yesterday, but like at finishing this book, I felt like physically affected. I was like, mm-hmm. my my mind and body are not okay right now. Uh, I felt like I don't know. I was like, I have a headache. I need to lay down. I'm not happy right now. I'm so sad, and I hate this. Um, it, yeah, it's a hard one. I think if you have a tough stomach, if you've got uh, if you are not easily triggered by things and you want to look at this as like a horror kind of novel because it is, there's a lot of horror elements to this. Um, or if you, I mean, if you want to see like a good example of how to make a very small thing seem like overwhelming and terrifying to this point, this could be good reference material for you. Um, I don't know though. I, Yeah, no I don't one. know, because even reading this, I kept thinking, like, who is the target audience for this? Because I feel like... Exactly, it's a YA novel! This, yeah, I was going to say, read this as teens, but, like, most YA is written, and I mean, maybe this was different in the 80s, because YA wasn't really as much of a genre That's true. at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But most YA is written with the general rule that the target audience will be, like, a year or two years younger than the protagonist, right? Mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm because that's like aspirational and whatever i i the protagonist this starts when they're 12 and i certainly would not recommend this to any 10 year olds um, oh god no they end when they're 15 and i probably wouldn't recommend this to any 13 year olds either like this is the problem where i'm like i don't think i would recommend this to teenagers because it's like fucked Mm-mm. up and i don't know that i would recommend it to adults because if it feels voyeuristic as an adult so i yes. don't know I mean, I guess if you are just, like, approaching it with that mindset and, like, prepared for it, go ahead. Like, it is a wild, a wild ride. And I don't think it's, like, poorly written or anything. Um, It's just, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. It's so much, and it's unrelenting, really. Mm -hmm. It is. Just the, I don't know. And, and, and especially don't go into it if you want a payoff in this book, because there is not one. Um. (laughs) <laughs> that is that is for the next few books in the series apparently i i don't know and i will never know <laughs> um okay 
Okay, well, that being said, uh, what yeah. books have you been reading that you would recommend? Yeah, um, well, not many because with moving, moving and everything and just like, I don't know, my brain has not been in a reading mood lately. So the only book I've managed to read in the past like two and a half-ish months that I've actually finished that hasn't been for the podcast uh, was a mystery book I just picked up in the library. It's a really recent release. Uh, it's called The Woman in the Library by Sulari Gentle. And it is a, it's kind of hard to explain. So forgive me if this sounds all like uh, loosey-goosey. But so it's this mystery novel about four people that meet meet in a library and they kind of bond over hearing this weird scream. Um, kind of, I don't know, just like having this weird experience in a library brings them together as friends and they bond as friends really quickly. But then they find out later that same day that they become friends that they did find a body in the library and so they kind of get involved with like investigating what happened to this woman why did she die yada 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 um but then as you're reading each chapter at the end of the chapter there is a letter that a man named leo is writing to an author hannah who is writing the book that that the murder took place in and at first, like, they're writing letters to each other um, where he's, like, kind of giving her feedback on her manuscript and he's asking for help about his. But then it, like, starts to take a more sinister twist. So it's, like, two mysteries in one, which I found very interesting. But also, like, the things that he would say in his letters would then, like, pop up in some way in the next chapter of the book. So it was very interesting, I thought, the way that it was plotted out. I will say the ending was a little bit weak, but I, I enjoyed the uh, the other, the whole experience so much that that really didn't bother me too much. So would recommend um, if you're a fan of mysteries. What have you been reading? I read, if you want a book that deals with sibling relationships and love, but not sibling relationships when they're in love, oh, um, I just finished... <laughs> I just finished um, Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour, which Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to like when I started it because I went into it thinking it was because it was on like a lot of recommended lists this last June for like Pride and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was going to be a lot more like rom-commy than it was. And it definitely leaned more like literary romance. But um, I thought it was good, and there was a lot of drama in it that I wasn't expecting. Not like, again, not like rom com drama, like literary drama, so, you know, kind of different levels. Uh, two women, it follows them from their teenage years through uh, their adult years mm-hmm. um, as they kind of uh, set out on their own and meet and uh, miss a connection and then meet again and then it doesn't work out and then me you know like back and forth sort of stuff ping-ponging between the two points of view I did think it suffered because I liked one of the points of view far far more than the other Mm. um I hate that like we're it was one of, like it's one of those situations where one of the characters is dealing with like intense trauma and like serious stuff and like her girlfriend like the start of the book is her girlfriend um dies and is found in a river oh like, god and she and like it's all fucked up and whatever uh-huh uh, and the other one is dealing with like I've been in college for too long and I don't know what I want to do with my life and I'm having oh, an affair hard. with a married man. Oh and no. I was just like I was just like I need to get back to the other one. We got please. it. Yeah. We must go back to the safety of the other one. 
But overall, I thought it was good. It was a, okay. a fun raid. Um, That's not good. fun. I was to say, a, it was a good raid. Fun for who? <laughs> Boomst. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked it. Uh, check it out if you're okay, into that sort okay. of um, But, you know. So let's go back to hell and talk about this book Yes. <laughs> let's do that. Let's join V.C. Andrews and her <laughs> delightful cast her- of doll-like children. Here's the plot. Uh, so this book takes place in the 50s, I think. Um, yes. And we have our family, the the Dollenganger, Dollenganger, I don't know, Dollenganger family, we'll say, who their whole cute, fun family thing is their names all start with C. So the dad's- How great and easy to distinguish between them. Uh, yes. Yeah. I wasn't confused ever in this book, trying to remember who was Chris and who was Corey and who was Kathy and who was Carrie. And who was who was Cor- Corinne and who was Carrie and who was Corey. And-, uh, and who was Christopher and who was just Chris. <laughs> Upsetting. <laughs> yeah. So the mom and dad are named Christopher and Corinne. And then the kids are Chris, Kathy, uh, Chris, who's 14, Kathy, who's 12, and then two five-year-old twins named Carrie and Corey. And they are just living the best suburban life, middle-class life you could ever imagine. Like, daddy goes to work all week, uh, but he comes home every Friday, and he's always bringing toys home for the children. And their mother is just so beautiful, and she keeps such a nice home, and all of the children are very well-loved, and blee, blee, blue, blah, 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 blah. But then one night on dad's like 35th birthday or 36th, it was a very like young age, I thought, for the amount of children he had. But uh, well, I mean, when you find out their backstory, when you they, find out their backstory, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I got right to it at 21. I mean, like, yeah, they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they uh, are planning a birthday surprise birthday party for dad and he never comes home. And then the police show up and they're like, hey, we found this car accident and it's your husband. And he's dead. I'm sorry. Um, uh, everyone's in disbelief, but he's like, no, really, here's all of his possessions and a bag. I need someone to come identify his body. The police go into such detail over it. Let me they see do. It is awful. It's, you would never, you would never, you would never. Let me pull it up. It was it's like, it was it's like, it's comical almost. Cause you're like, Oh, really that's so is. sad. It was an accident. Yes. His car I honestly- flipped. Oh, the car flipped. Yeah. And then another car came and hit it. Oh God. Then what happened? <laughs> then it caught fire. What? Yes. It's very like, it's I was kind of kind like, of hilarious. Have I, Am, am I, is this a parody? Is this book a parody of like I I kind of held out hope fiction? for a second that it was. Yeah, because it, it seemed very funny. It's, yeah, it's, uh, we've already questioned motorists who witnessed the accident. It wasn't your husband's fault, Mrs. Dollinganger. According to the accounts, which we've recovered, there was a motorist driving a blue Ford. Like, why does she need this detail? She doesn't. <laughs> Weaving in and out of the left-hand lane, apparently drunk, and he crashed head on into your husband's car. But it seems your husband must have seen the accident coming, for he swerved to avoid a head-on collision. Okay, great. Cool, but okay. a piece of machinery <laughs> had fallen from another car or truck, and this kept him from completing his correct defensive driving maneuver. Like, <laughs> they have to be like it really wasn't his fault he was no so for right. real yeah <laughs> which would have saved his life but as it was your husband's much heavier car because you guys have so much money yeah uh-huh. um, uh-huh. 
and turned over several times, and still he might have survived, but an <laughs> oncoming truck, unable to stop, crashed into his car, and again, the Cadillac spun over, dot, 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 and then, dot, 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 it caught on fire. <laughs> and then the mom was like, the wife, yeah. <laughs> he's not dead, is he? This <laughs> is like, of course he is. Yeah, no, he lived. Wild. He lived. How wonderful for all everyone involved. Wild way to start this book. Yeah. Ugh. So, you know, we had brief hopes that maybe, maybe this was going to be farcical, but no. <laughs> it's a deadly serious book. Deadly serious. A great start. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> some time passes. It's very sad time for the kids. Uh, they really don't know how to function without daddy there to take care of them. Um, but then one day they come home and mom is like, Hey guys, pack up. We're going, we're, we're moving in with my parents and they live in a big old mansion. Cause here's the thing I forgot to tell you about you. Or, yeah. Here's the thing I forgot to tell you guys about me. Your mother is that I come from a very old money family. I come from the Foxworth family. That is my real last name. We had to change our last names. No, I can't tell you why right now. It's going to be a secret until very later on in the book, unless you know about Flowers in the Attic already. No, I can't tell you why we picked Dolan Ganger. That will never be revealed. You would think Smith would be a better pick. Smith, yeah, something non-distinct. Um, she says, my dad disinherited me because of a very terrible decision I made as a child, but I feel like he is about to die. My mom said we could all go back and move in, um, and once he dies, I'll get him to, or before he dies, I'll get him to love me again and write him into write me into his will and then when he dies we'll be filthy rich i have two dead brothers yeah so i'm the only heir they I'm, both died in accidents and yeah. i was like hmm, were sus. they were they though <laughs> um so the children who love their mother very much uh are like okay yes we'll go with you in the dead of night to this house to escape our debt that has accrued because mother has no skills to get a job we have no money and we were living off credit cards. Um, they go in the middle of the night, get on a train, and then they get to a train station and then have to walk for like hours to sneak into this house before the servants are awake. Um, and once they get to the house, they meet this nasty ass grandma who leads them up to a room. <laughs> and basically <laughs> they reveal to the children you guys have to stay in this room uh, because my my grandfather or your grandfather, my dad, is not going to want to know that I have kids. This all has to do with the big mistake I made earlier in my life. Don't worry about it. But he can't know I have kids, but he's about to die. So this will probably just take like a few days or a week or so until I get him to love me again. And then when he loves me again, I will introduce you as my children and you can come down from this room. But for the time being, you have to stay here. You have to be silent. You cannot leave. Uh, we, you will have food brought to you once a day and I will come and see you at night because I love you, my children. And grandma is there and she's just like horrendous. She's just mean. She's like, these are <laughs> my rules for you staying here are thusly. You can never do anything, uh, what, impure. God is always watching you. No, opposite 
like boys cannot be in the same bed as girls. You cannot have boys in the bathroom at the same time as girls. You cannot ever see each other naked. You must always be clean, shower a thousand times a day, do the laundry, yada, yada, yada. Don't make noises. It's essentially just like pretend you are ghost children. (laughs) Now, here is the point at which I, as an adult me who is judging these fictional children for not being able to figure it out quickly enough. Mm -hmm. But here is the point that I would be like, "Mm, seems like you're going to leave us in this attic forever or this room adjacent to an attic. Yeah. So the mom has been like, it's just going to be a day or two, maybe like a week. Don't worry about it. It's super chill. And the grandma gives them a list of rules and is like, you will not ever get any candy because candy leads to cavities and we're we're not going to take it to the dentist. We're not going to be able to take it to the dentist. And I would be like, I don't go to the dentist every go, week. Yeah, I only this go once every six like months. A, this seems like a long-term plan if we're worried about dental care. Hmm, maybe I should start looking yeah. for ways out. What a weird thing for grandmother to have said. <laughs> I don't... <sighs> yeah. I... <laughs> There was a lot of red flags here that like I think Kathy as our as our narrator um, and the character we see everything's through her eyes like she kind of is like this seems odd but my older brother Chris really loves mother in a way that maybe isn't correct and healthy and good and uh, will never disbelieve anything she says. <laughs> I mean Chris is a fucked up pseudo incestuous relationship with his mom but i mean kathy had a equally pseudo incestuous relationship with her dad so who is she to judge yeah that's true yeah yeah her her parental idol just happened to die so yeah so you know (laughs) she didn't have time to cuddle with him as a as a full (laughs) teenager nearly adult child oh my god it's yeah so (laughs) So they get, they have this one room and the room is like attached to the attic stairs. And grandma says, you have to stay in this room until after 10 a.m. Then after 10 a.m. you can go up into the attic and I don't care what the fuck you do up there. Um, No one can hear you. I don't let anyone go up into the attic for reasons that are never explained fully. Like we get like a throwaway line later in the book is like she told the servants that there were too many mice in this wing to clean. She tells them that about the room that attaches to the attic. Mm-hmm. I think they're just not allowed. To, I think she says something about she's worried about them stealing or something. Mm-hmm. Or there's like too much. I I feel like it's kind of implied that there's weird secrets up there. Yeah. Like the classroom and whatever. So I think there's kind of that sort of vibe too of like mm-hmm. that's where the private stuff is kept and she doesn't want the servants in there. But yeah, it's not really, it's not really fully explained why the servants don't go up there. They just don't. Yeah, I think I think this book would have been much improved if there was some sort of mystery for the kids to uncover about the house as opposed to just about their circumstances. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would have been fun to explore instead of this yeah. just constant agony and sadness that we get. Um, So I guess eventually it is revealed because grandmother comes up every morning and, and also she like spies on them constantly just like tries to catch them doing something naughty which they don't understand they're like we're like we are very good kids very beautiful very intelligent very perfect children that's like the whole point of us uh and the grandmother's like no you're not you're the devil's spawn and the kids are confused they're like what do you what do you mean we're the devil's spawn 
uh, why don't you love us? Why, why, what makes you think that there's something wrong with us? And eventually grandma reveals to them like, oh, well, your mom fell in love with her half uncle and had you children together with him. And, you know, you're supposed to have horns and hooves and tails and shit. So why don't you? The grandma is also very religious and <laughs> hyper religious fun vibe. Yes. Yes, she really does terrify them into thinking because this her one rule is like, even if I'm not here to see you break the rules, God is always watching you and God will see you, which I think her issuing that statement is enough to scare them into believing that God is always watching. Like there's something very intimidating about her to the kids. And it's the fact that she is over six feet tall and over 200 pounds. Just such a. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. But also she's still an old, like, in your youth, when you're still like young and strong and hale and not having been locked away for years in this attic, you could have easily bowled her over and just run out of the house, I think. Yes, 100%. I think that part of it is that they are so convinced that it's going to be short term, right? That's true. And their mom is like feeding them all this stuff about like, well, once I get the inheritance, like you guys are like, if we all do this grift together of you guys living in the attic, then it'll all be worth it in the end. Mm -hmm. And they kind of like buy into that of like, okay, yeah, we have to suffer so that we can have ponies um, in the end. Yeah. (laughs) And have wonderful (laughs) balls and, you know, just be Uh, the talk of the town. And then kind of as things go on, like they, like you said, become weaker. But even then, I feel like she, she's, you could have taken, there's four of you. You could have taken her. Exactly. Like you, there, surely there was something in the attic they could have hit this woman over the head with and then just ran. They had, there's the whole, I mean, like I'm jumping ahead, but there That's is fine. A, I, this part of part- the, my notes is just says misery. So <laughs> there is a part where Chris uh, sees Kathy while she is admiring her blossoming self in front of a mirror. Yes. Gross. Um, and he gets horny for her and the grandmother. Opens He's been horny for door. her for a while. He's been horny for her for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, because she looks like her mom. Yeah. Um, the grandma catches them in this uh, uh, looking at each other while Kathy is naked act. And, uh, wants Kathy to cut off all of her hair as punishment, which makes sense later when it's revealed that the grandmother's hair is a wig and she has very bad hair. So yeah. she's probably like, she's jealous of Kathy's hair. Um, but also she's like pride. You will cut off all your hair or I will starve you all for a week. Here are the scissors. Do with it what you will. Like that's a weapon dog. You could have killed this. You could have killed like, her. Or, like all these chemicals that Chris apparently has, mm-hmm. because then like when she has, so so Kathy doesn't want to cut her hair. That's like her favorite thing about her because her daddy always loved her hair. So she doesn't want to cut it. So in the middle of the night, the grandma comes and puts like a needle in her arm and like pumps her full of drugs to knock her out and then just puts a ton of tar in her hair, like covers the entirety of her hair in tar. And then Chris's solution is to go up in the attic and get out his chemistry set and mix up some chemicals to remove the tar from her hair. I'm like, why didn't you just like make an acid thing and throw it at grandma's face like right she never looks at you when you come into the room because you look just like your dad christopher so like you could you could have you could have snuck up on her very easily Yeah, I feel like with all the time they had alone and all of that like reading and learning that they were doing, like they could have devised a plan that wasn't just sitting around and suffering. But I don't want to victim blame these children. (laughs) 
it does take on a very like Robinsonade quality in this mm-hmm. part also, where it is just them figuring out how to live life the best they can in this yes. like isolated environment. And they're like, we'll make pictures out of, we'll make flower pictures and post them all over the walls and we'll draw funny animals and put them out there and, and we'll, we'll read and we'll learn and we'll, we'll be the best little children we can be. And yes. I'll keep dancing and you'll keep wanting to be a doctor and we'll teach the twins how to read and it'll be great. Like they mm-hmm. make the best of it. They try really hard. Is good for them, but a little boring, I have to say. There are, <laughs> there was a lot that book. I skimmed in this book, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, both for, you know, uh, entertainment purposes and also some for survival purposes. I just like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, so this precedes like three years of misery for these children. Um, some highlights, I suppose we could go through. So, so at first when they're like locked away, mom comes every day and she like showers her children with attention. She'll eat meals with them if she can. So the very beginning of this, like, it was like maybe the next day when their mom like first came to see them after they moved back to this house. Um, she came in and she was like whipped. She had been whipped by her, by her mother, the grandmother, 33 times, I think, or something. It was like an absurd amount of times, like all over her body. Um, and so I, at this point, like the kids are like, oh, like mother is suffering so much. We, we have it easy. We should try and just be like these perfect children for her. Um, so, so they're enjoying their, not enjoying, but they're putting on a tough face, right? Mom comes and as time goes on, they start to notice like mom starts dressing better. Suddenly she has jewels, the gifts and toys and things that she brings them are a finer and finer quality. Um, and then of course, alongside with that, mom starts visiting less and less. Um, maybe she comes every other day. Maybe she comes two or three times a week. Maybe it's just once a week, you know? So, um, while this is happening, um, the grandmother is only bringing up like one basket of food a day. The kids aren't able to get outside. Like they're not even allowed really to open windows because grandma is afraid that some some money is going to see a ghostly visage in the window, which I mean, it's an old house. You can expect there to be ghosts, right? Um <laughs> But yeah, they do. They try, they like decorate the attic with all these paper flowers. They, they read the Bible and, you know, they, they memorize passages of the Bible that are uh, critical of their grandmother. So when she asks them, like, what have you memorized today? They can give her like nasty quotes from the Genesis Bible. Genesis 18, 18. Grandma sucks. Grandma sucks. <laughs> Grandma can get fucked. <laughs> That's in the Bible right there. I don't like it's I'm trying to think of like an exact point where it kind of ramps up because it is just kind of boring confinement for a while. Mm. I think once we get into part two um, is and and this is when Kathy and Chris both start to go through puberty that it starts to kind of ratchet up the intensity of things that are happening. So grandma kind of like is keeping an eye on them to make sure that they are still innocent. But obviously like Chris is a couple years older 
than Kathy. And Kathy does look a lot like their mother that he has this intense adoration for. And so he's been kind of dropping hints throughout the whole book of like how beautiful Kathy is and how there's no other woman in the world like her and yada, yada, yada. And he stares at her as she's doing her little ballet lessons because that's her thing. Like she wants to be the best dancer slash actress slash singer triple threat, you know, um, in the entire world. And He's just been looking at her for a real long time, and she doesn't understand why. But then she goes through puberty, and we have to hear all about her pubic hairs, and we have to learn all about her period and stuff, which, like, okay, we should normalize reading about, like, girls going through periods and stuff like that. But I should, it, just, it, it just felt icky in this book to me. I think it's the combination of her talking about things that are, like, normal puberty things, and the only person to really – talk to her about them yeah. being her brother yeah. who wants to fuck her and her mom who is like such a fucking mess that she kind of sexualizes things too so everything becomes like very sexualized and like not like they're like uh, people are going to be horny for you Kathy but like there's definitely comments made about like now it's time for you to be a woman and that mm-hmm. kind of like creepy just being a woman like equals having mm, sex now with you're men. available to me because yeah. you're not a right, child yeah. you're a lady now you're a woman which ew mm-hmm. um awesome i also like okay so there is one point in the book that i had skipped over a little bit like at christmas time where the mom lets chris and kathy out of the room and she shows them where to hide so she can watch this like grand christmas ball that the family was having Um, Which I thought was like, knowing what we know about the mom, I was like, that was a really bold move to like, let your children see this. But okay. But, but they do like, they do kind of catch their mom having what looks like, like some sort of romantic relationship with another man. And they're like, both very confused because their dad has died like very recently. And he, he and their mother seem to be very much in love. So they're a little bit concerned about this. And I think this is when Kathy first starts really turning against their mother and being like, she's lying to us. There's something going on about her. She's not faithful. Why, why are we still locked in this room? Right. And they this is I think also the first time they see the grandfather as well. Yes. Who is a wheelchair user um because of a, a heart incident mm-hmm. that he had many years ago. Um which I think it's during this part, right, that the the mom reveals all, right? Yes. Of what exactly is going on, um, in terms of why her parents disowned her. Yeah, she tells them her beautiful love story about how when she was 14 years old, her half-uncle came to live with them. Uh, the thing about the half-uncle, uh, which Christopher, that was his name, Christopher, is that he is her, her father's brother, but her father fixed it somehow with the estate that the the half uncle, the one, the husband, I don't know, Christopher, is that his real name? Christopher? (laughs) I don't know what their real names are. Even Christopher, the dad got none of his inheritance that he was supposed to have. So half of the Foxworth wealth is supposed to have gone to Christopher. Um, and so he goes through some kind of like hardships with his family. And then eventually his mom dies and he has to move in with his older brother and wife and their kids. So essentially, it's Garland is the patriarch at this time. His son is Malcolm, mm. 
Garland remarries a woman named Alicia, who is much, much, much younger than him. Mm. He and Alicia have Christopher. I don't know how you remember all these names. <laughs> because I looked up what else happened in the series. Oh, okay. oh, oh, oh. the game that we play. I see, I see, I see. <laughs> so I'm giving you these Interesting. Garland has Malcolm, Malcolm uh, from the first wife. Alicia, the much younger wife, has Christopher. Then uh, Garland dies when I think, uh, I think they say it's when Christopher's three, but later that's revealed to be false. But in any case, Alicia and Christopher leave the house forever when uh, Christopher is three years old. Yes. Or no, it would have been when Christopher's three. So uh, Garland dies when Christopher's three years old. Alicia and Christopher are kicked out of the house um, when Christopher's three. They have to go live by themselves. And then when Alicia dies, Christopher is brought back. Yes, yes. And he grew up in a very normal, loving household. Uh, so he really didn't know what he was kind of like getting in for. But... um. Corinne, the mother, was always raised in this fashion of like, you can't have any fun because it's a sin to have fun, essentially, is what it boils down to. Uh, And so she has been kind of very sheltered in a similar manner to the way her kids are now, but definitely a lot differently because she was like kind of appreciated by her parents in some fashion. Mm -hmm. So she's 14 years old. She sees her half uncle, falls in love with him at first sight. They kind of meet clandestinely uh, and develop a romantic relationship, but they do wait until she's 18 to get married. So, whew, That's good thing. That's great, I guess. Yeah. Great. So she's 18. That would make him 21, right? So they must yes. have gotten pregnant immediately with Chris. I think 22 is when they have, when he's 22. Because if he's 36 when he dies. Yeah, okay. It was, it was pretty 14, soon, though. Yeah, I mean, it was, like, probably within the first few months of marriage yeah. she was pregnant. So um, they they elope. They run away to get married because they they presume correctly that uh, Corinne's father would not approve. They come back two weeks later. She's like, please forgive us, father, for having been married, but we love each other, you see? And then the dad is like, this is fucking disgusting. I'm disowning you. Uh, also, he kind of hates he hates Christopher um, for you know, I guess because he's afraid that Christopher Taking will realize like little girl. Yeah, well, he also I think he must realize Christopher is, could be like, hey, this is some of my money too. But also because yeah. yeah, he really loves Corinne in a very creepy way, which you know maybe the incest doesn't fall far from the tree. I don't know. I would say it most certainly does not. Uh. <laughs> it it he. He may he would often like make Corinne promise him like you don't leave me for another man until even after I'm dead like just like I don't know just things you sh- just shouldn't say to your daughter ever. The their whole vibe is like very uh, daddy daughter dance um, mm. promise uh, purity ring purity ring yeah like, notched up to like a million yeah I think. Yeah, and and maybe like a riff off of like you know inbred old money families. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, creepy, very creepy. But so uh, Malcolm is he he disinherits Corinne even though she's like his last surviving child because the other two died in like skiing accidents or something. I don't know because they both also ran away from home because they couldn't stand how stifling this life was. I think the first one died in a car accident and it was kind of like normal and at home. Joel ran oh. away to uh, he does not want Italy to be died in a skiing accident. Yeah. 
So in a way that felt very suspicious to me, but we never explore in this book because the, this book is about the the doll children, as they call themselves. Don't worry, we will. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. So they learn all this. Kathy is still like, this is weird, mom. But Chris is like, oh, mother, you've gone through so many hardships in your life. Of course, we love you. Meanwhile, the twins who have been like in captivity for so long that they like don't even really care about their mom anymore. Like she's pretty much a stranger to them. Um, Their growth has been severely stunted this whole time. I think in three years, they only grew two inches and they were very like pale and probably weird looking from the way Kathy and Chris were like (laughs) commenting about it. Like we never get a full on like good description of what these kids look like, but I'm imagining like, this is going to be sorry for people who don't watch dimension 20, but like squinge is what I would picture for these children. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they, they describe them towards the end as like little mouse children, which there's like a lot of, you know, parallels being drawn between them and mice at that point but, yeah um they make a few comments about how like pale and and stringy they look and like little cave dwellers you know i mean if you're in an attic yeah. for three years and you don't get through little golems i thought it was kind of weird to me that like chris and kathy there are a couple times in this book like they regularly go on the roof. Like there's a part of the roof that they can access to like sunbathe and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. they either like don't want to take the kids, the younger children out on the roof. Cause 'cause they say like, Oh, it's pretty stable here. So like I, it it kind of felt to me that like the twins did not want to exit the building. Yes. Yeah. Because they try to take the twins out the one time and they start like crying and screaming. Because um, like, they hate up. it, even though they keep asking to go outside, it's very weird. Yes, there's also the part where Chris and Kathy escape, um, <laughs> do just leave and go to a lake and like swim and hang out and make out. Yeah, I get that they still, especially Chris, trust their mother and don't want to get their mom in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right, like they don't want their mom to be disinherited by the grandfather. But then it's also like go to the. I, Go to the police. Go to a social worker. Anybody, go to a neighbor. Yes. Go to anyone. Go to the media. This is a f- right. Like, y- you have options here. You are able to get out. Mm-hmm. Go. Take the children and go. Leave it. Or the- don't take. Just send. Just send one of them to go alert authorities yes. what's going on. Or leave in the middle of the day when like, the servants can all see you and be like, hey, now you can't yeah. deny we're here. Just start screaming. Yes. Like, I don't know. I, anything. Yeah, so they, they do go to the lake, and, and then we, we get to, like, this this puberty section where things really start to take a turn, and, like, we get the, the whole, the Kathy looking at herself naked in the mirror because she honestly has never even, like, she's never seen another woman's body except her own, and she hadn't really studied it since she started going through puberty. So she's just kind of, like, admiring her new body, and Chris, being a creeper, just, like, starts staring at her, and Kathy's like, please go back upstairs. I'm naked. I'm not comfortable with what you're doing, and he ignores her and just keeps staring, and then the grandmother's like, haha, I've caught you, Kathy, being a prideful little girl, uh, and now you have to cut off all your hair, and she does the thing with the tar. The sad thing about this whole scene with the hair and the tar and the cutting off, because they do like at the end, they kind of resort to like cutting just like the top of her hair, the front of like her, her hair. Bangs, essentially, yeah. yeah, they cut that down to the scalp 
but then she wears a little headscarf so that grandma can't see that she still has like the rest of her hair i don't know um which i if i was a you know grandma who was a religious fanatic keeping my grandchildren in the attic um hey that rhymed i would uh (laughs) probably check under the towel to see what was going on with the hair situation but no no she's like i trust you yeah yeah well they she never she doesn't come back even to check to see if kathy has cut her hair for two weeks they don't hear or Mm. get any food from grandma and so these children are on the verge of starvation where Chris like goes and catches rats from the attic and is like about to f- feed them these rats these Chris raw opens rats. a vein and feeds his, and feeds his, his siblings blood. with his own blood. They're now vampires. They're now vampires. <laughs> Which upgrade, I suppose. Yeah. If you can't go out in the sunlight, you might as well be a vampire. You might as well. <laughs> Although I wouldn't want to be a 14-year-old vampire. No, 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 no. Definitely not. No, no. 25, I think, is a good age to be yeah, for the rest of your life. Age. Um, And uh, then one day, they just there's a basket of food waiting downstairs for them. But it's weird now because along with just like the normal food, she would bring them up a whole days of food. Remember earlier, she said, I will never bring you any sweets because I don't want your teeth to rot because we ain't going to the dentist. She brings them each one powdered sugar donut. And Kathy's like, weird, grandma must have some heart because maybe she, this is like her, her way of asking for forgiveness is giving us this treat every day. Um, and every day she continues to bring the powdered donuts and never says anything about them. And the children love the donuts. And, and Corey, the, the boy twin, that's all he wants to eat is his donut every day. Like the, he really doesn't care for the other food that's been brought up though. You would think at some point, like he would be hungry enough. He would just eat anything, but who knows? Um, and soon after these donuts are being brought to them, they all start to feel like these weird minor illnesses. They have upset stomachs quite often. They find themselves throwing up more. They're just kind of, in general, feeling weaker, more vulnerable than they had before. This goes on for like another year of this happening. Uh, and at one point, their mother, Corinne, just disappears for months and they don't see her. They don't hear from her. They don't know what's going on. And when I think it's at the point where the hair gets cut. Yes. Because right? they keep waiting for her to show back up. And she to, never does. So they can be like, hey, please bring us some food. Grandma is starving us. And she doesn't. Yes. Yeah. And then she continues to not even after the food begins to be brought. Yes. Um, they, uh. Corinne comes back with the news that she has been gone for so long because she was on a honeymoon with her new husband, whose name is Bart Winslow. Bart Winslow? Yeah, who is uh, a younger man than her um, and is kind of just like a trophy husband. Like he's, he's, I think he's her, her dad's lawyer. Yes. Um, I was also trying to figure out exact because they make a comment at the party. I think someone makes a, I could be wrong about this. Uh, I might be misremembering, but I think someone at the party makes a comment that they overhear about how like Bart because he's the one that she goes off with. I think yes, uh huh. To see the swan bed, she has a beautiful bed in the shape of a swan. Uh, someone makes a comment I think about how he's like been in love with her for a while, or she makes that comment mm-hmm. at some point. And I was like, what are we defining us for a while as? Because if it was like. She, <laughs> she left she when left she was 18. 18. 
and this guy is significantly younger enough to for it to be remarked upon. Eight years younger. So was he like eight? Yeah, was he like ten and in love with her, or was this like, oh, he's been in love with her for like a month? Yeah. What, what are we? Or just like he's seen pictures of her and is in love with the idea of her. Maybe. Who can say? Maybe. It was weird. Yeah, that timeline did not match up at all for me. Um, the Obviously, like, Chris and Kathy are very angry because they're like, well, how could you do this to dad? And then also, like, okay, does this mean now we can come out? And she's like, well, no, because he is my dad's lawyer, and I don't want him to know about the kids unless he tells dad, and then dad will write me out of the will, and then this will all be for nothing. So y'all just sit tight. He, just sit tight. He could die any day now. <laughs> okay. Um, so then the twins both get very, very, very sick that they like are, it was sick for like 19 days, I think is what it was. And, uh, they, the mother and grandmother refused to take the twins to any doctor or anything or get the medicine. They just kind of have painkillers and liquids and bed rest. And it takes forever for the children to, uh, become healthy again. And even when they do get over their illness, like they are very different children from what they were previous. Like Corey was always a very like quiet introverted boy, but now he's even more withdrawn and Carrie who was, was the talkative twin. And she has like stopped talking now too. Like they're just both, they've aged terribly from this sickness, according to Kathy. So Kathy's like, Chris, we can't, we have to escape. It's been three years. Clearly nothing's going to happen. We have to get out of here or our twins are going to die because also, at this point, Chris and Kathy have basically accepted that we are the twins' parents. We're the mom, we're the dad, and that creates a bond between the two of us that is more romantic than familial. Um, okay. All right. Okay. If you say so. If this is this how is, it has to be. This is happening, I guess. I guess. <laughs> so they come up with a plan. Um, they know they need the key to get out of their room, but grandmother is always very, like, careful and cautious about where she keeps the key, but their mother is not. So they wait until the next time mommy dearest comes to visit them in the room. And Chris, she like lays the key down on a table or something and Chris pockets it and goes to the bathroom and makes an imprint of the key in a soft bar of soap. Over the course of the next few days, whittles a large piece of wood into the exact shape of the key that they can then use to lock and unlock their bedroom door. The thing is, though, they don't want to leave before they have enough money in order to to, to live on, essentially, because they know, like, they're going to need to get the kids to a doctor. Uh, they're going to need you know, money for food, clothing, housing, whatever. I mean, most of them are still just children. I think Chris is just now 17, going on 18 very soon, but still very young. And they're also kind of, like, trying to fit – because another – big draw for them to stay was that they were promised that you know they would be getting college funds essentially that yes like, oh you have to stay here and you know even worse comes to worse you stay here till you're 18 and then um you know chris can go off and learn how to be a doctor mm-hmm. so like them deciding like fuck it is kind of them being like well i guess we won't really get to achieve these dreams we had because we're not gonna have any money for college exactly So their goal is to steal like $500 in total uh, before they make their escape. And so Chris has been using the key like it's over several months. He he takes the key and he leaves the bedroom and he sneaks to their mother's room and he steals just like singles that they've left out on the drawer. Like he'll take like five, ten, twenty dollars from her wallet and also starts stealing from the new husband, which 
turns out to kind of be a bad idea because as he finds out one night when they, they, he kind of is surprised by them returning to the room when he thought they had left, um, the, he overhears Bart make this comment of like, I've, my money has been missing. I think the servants are stealing our money. We need to move out of this house. And, uh, the mom's saying, well, we've already talked about this. I'm not ready to move out. Blah, 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 blah. They kind of get into an argument about it, which Chris thinks is strange at the time, but you know, doesn't really put any more stock into that conversation at all other than to think like, okay, now they're going to be really diligent about where they're hiding the money. Um, I think also it's not Chris who steals the money from Bart because I might be conflating two incidents in here, but I think it's Kathy because Kathy's the only one who steals from Bart because she steals it while he's sleeping and then kisses him. No, I think, well, she does do that, but he, he's like been taking money from like this coin, this thing of coins that Bart keeps in the back of his, in the closet. And then he also has been taking just like small bills from Bart's wallet thinking that like, Bart won't notice, but Bart is a working man, and so he like keeps better track of his money than than the mom does, who doesn't understand what money is or what anything costs. So, yeah, and also has a comment of like when Bart is like, "It's probably the servant stealing it," and she's like, "Well, let them. Who cares? They they're underpaid." They and I was kind of like, "Okay, Corinne. Yeah, sure. <laughs> this All is, right. This yeah. is kind of good, I guess. Yeah, let them steal from you. Redistribute <laughs> yeah, wealth in this you. way, I guess. Who cares? Yeah." <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what order these next things happen. Sorry, they're slamming doors now. Um, and he does take Kathy a few times, um, down with him. And like you said, there's one time Kathy goes by herself because Chris is way too sick to go from, you know, the, su- the suspicious illness that the kids have been getting. Um, and she walks into her mom's bedroom and sees Bart in there kind of like dozing in a chair. And she does just like go up and kiss him right on the lips. Like it's a soft kiss, but like she still just does that to a person who could wake up at any moment. <laughs> There's a lot about like she wants to kiss someone she's not related to, which it's like, yeah, girl. And then, I understand um, that. She, yes. <laughs> she's like jealous of her mother because she gets this hot young man mm, and, and uh, Kathy nothing. can't have him because she kind of like considers waking him up for a minute a minute and being like wouldn't he want me because I'm a virgin and young and pretty and not my mom because she's old but then she's like mm, but my mom has money so I guess she, he would pick my mom over me even though I'm a hot virgin and I'm like girl this is such a weird this line of thought so, like I yeah. don't I would I'm be boring to, to him because I don't know what I'm doing in bed right okay Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This kiss does have repercussions because then there's another night that Chris goes down there. Um, I think it's the same night when he hears about the the – Yeah, I think that's what I was getting confused. It was the same night, yes. And Bart, Bart, he – after he says the thing about the servant stealing the money, then he makes this offhand comment about – a, a dream he had in which a girl, a young girl with blonde hair and blue eyes, dressed in white, came into his room and kissed him while he was sleeping, uh, but that when he woke up fully, she was gone. And Chris is smart enough to put two and two together that, like, this wasn't a ghost or a dream. It was my sister Kathy that night. I told her to come down here by herself. And when he learns of this kiss, he feels... So much anger and rage. But is he angry at Kathy because she was reckless? And was he was he angry because because she didn't get any money that night because she just kissed a man and then went back up to the room? No. 
He's jealous. He's jealous that Kathy dared kiss another man at all. And they've done a few kisses at this point. Yes. One one or two kisses, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then he goes upstairs and he forcefully throws Kathy onto a mattress and does a bad thing to her against her will. Except for then afterwards, Kathy says, no, it was my fault. I shouldn't have tempted you the way I did. And Kathy is like, oh, I would have been into it. And it's like, girl... Let's not justify this. You weren't, though, is the thing. You specifically said that you you did not want to do mm-hmm. this. You said it to him, and you said it to us, the reader. And then to have it done to you, and then for you to be like, mm, it's probably fine. Yeah. Like, she said that. Girl. She says to him, because Chris feels huge amounts of remorse for this immediately after it happens, because. As he should. Of course they don't have, like any sort of protection and so then their fear after the fact becomes now there's going to be a baby and the baby is going to be cloven footed and have horns and is everything that grandmother said we should be and uh they have to have a conversation now chris who chris the future doctor is like well it was just one time there's no way you would get pregnant from just one time that's not how conception works which okay chris maybe you should go to medical school i think he also says something about like what point in her cycle she's at but i could be misremembering like that. why are you tracking that chris get well i mean there's only so many things <laughs> only so many hobbies might as well track my sister's <laughs> period uh um and uh Kathy is like, well, let's just forget it ever happened there's nothing to forgive because nothing happened and then they just like resume acting like this happy as normal as can be in these circumstances family where they are the pseudo mom and pseudo dad and the twins are their pseudo children. And it's just so upsetting. I don't, do they stay together in the rest of the series? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I can't, I cannot. (laughs) If they do. Oh my God, please, please tell me these. We will get to it. Cause that would, cause then I'm like, Surely that that becomes a secret that you take with you to your grave, right? Like you can uh-huh. tell your future partner, like I went through this horrible traumatic experience and share share as much of that as you are willing to. But like this was the one thing you would not tell about all of that, right? I maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. How would you like? Mm, I, <laughs> I can't imagine like finding that out and then going to like the next family dinner and being like, I don't know how to feel about any of you anymore. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, it is, because, again, this is something that has happened to people and continues to happen to people. Like, you know, um, mm-hmm. I I don't know how you would, like, I don't want to be, like, too shamey about it, because obviously it's not her fault no. if she wants to share it, you know, to get closure or whatever. But also it is, yeah, like, how do you, how do you move on from that with someone who you are still... Like someone who you still have in your life, because it seems to me at the end of this book that Kathy and Chris, like this is a traumatic situation. You would want to stay with the people who would understand what you went through the most. Right. Right. Like they, I don't know if this is something that would bring them comfort to be apart from each other. I don't know. But yeah, it's hard to say. Like if you still have this intensely close relationship with your brother and then like you tell your partner this whole story of what happened and then, like, the next day, she's like, by the way, Chris is coming by with 
his partner and we're all going to have a family dinner, I'd be like, I don't know about all of that I don't think anymore. I want to do that, actually. <laughs> I'm so I'm going to dip. Thank, Thank you. y'all. Um, yeah, so that happens. And then the next big thing that occurs is that Corey becomes terribly ill. Um, he is Chris, Chris and Kathy don't really, uh, understand his symptoms, but they're convinced he has the flu. They, that when the grandma comes to bring them food, they beg her, like, you need to bring us our mother so that she can take this child to the hospital. Look at him. There's like, he needs, he needs medical attention that we cannot provide. And the grandma just like closes the door, but then, and leaves, but she comes back with Corinne and uh the two of them kind of like hem and haw over a, a little bit but the grandmother is eventually like no they're they're right this child needs a hospital so Corinne does eventually take him to the hospital um and doesn't return until the next morning and when she comes back she's like well I took Corey to the uh, hospital hours away but it was like the closest hospital to here don't worry I'm not lying about that um but it was hours away, and uh, he died. I'm sorry. He died of pneumonia. He did beef it. Yeah. And uh, Kathy's like, wow, this must be God punishing us for having sex, Chris. <laughs> now, knowing what we know, do we think the mom took Corey to a hospital? No. She smothered him no, with a pillow. Right? right? Like, she must have, surely. I just want to know where she, where if they buried his body, where it is. Um, I think I'm not going to sit on this one because it doesn't come up in my questions. Mm-hmm. I think it is implied in one of the later books that he ends up like being buried in the walls of the house. Oh, or something. God. I'm not sure, though. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't I didn't look into hospital. that too much. Yeah, he uh, they say that he's buried like she's like, oh, he's dead. And they're like, well, can we see the body? And she's like, no, he's already been buried. Uh, in a grave with a false name and then she just leaves <laughs> oh and these children are absolutely devastated so so Kathy and Chris are like we have to leave now we have to take Kathy out or we have to take Carrie out of this situation we can't let anything else happen to our twins or our kids our kid one kid now singular the one mm-hmm. the one that is left. so Chris is like all right and this is also when they start putting together the pieces right of um or does something else well when chris goes down to do one more big heist oh yes okay chris chris goes down he's like all right i'm gonna do one more big big steal i'm gonna take jewelry i'm gonna take all of these things uh because i don't give a shit now if they know that we stole because we're leaving tonight and so kathy and carrie get ready to leave but chris does not come back until almost the next morning and uh he comes back with the news that he went down to their mother's room, Corinne and Bart's room, and uh, it was completely empty. Like, the furniture was there, but none of their belongings were. It is as, lif- as if the two of them have left the premises permanently. So, uh, Chris, he, he searches around in the room, and the only thing he's able to find is in one of his mother's bedside tables is a picture of his father in a frame and her old engagement and wedding ring. So he does swipe those because he says, he tells Kathy, like, we will not sell these unless it's under extreme duress. Like, these are these are things that are for us that we need to save. So, but he takes them with him for sentimental reasons, as well as the picture. And then he's like, well, fuck it. I might as well just steal from this whole might ass house. Well. So 
he the next his next stop in the house is to go to his grandmother's room where the light is still on under the door but he opens the door anyway to creep on his grandma and he sees her there without any hair because apparently she wears a wig and that's why she hated Kathy having hair so much and she's praying and in her prayers that she says aloud she says uh you know lord forgive me for what i've had to do i've always believed to be doing the right thing but this one was real bad y'all sorry about that hope you can forgive me hope i don't go to hell chris is like this was a rough yeah. one <laughs> chris is like i don't know what that means uh hmm. i wonder to what she could be referring yeah that's so weird probably she feels bad about the way she treats us well kind of then yeah one specific treat specifically <laughs> Then he decides to go to his, the grandfather's rooms because he wants to, like, look at the grandfather and announce himself and be like, I am here. This is who I am. You should know. Uh, but when he goes to the grandfather's rooms, those rooms are also completely empty as if they've been unused for a very long time. Uh, and as he's kind of snooping around, two servants enter the room and he has to hide and these servants are two people who are about to have sex, but before they have sex, they drop a convenient amount of exposition for us that lets us know this very devastating fact. Grandfather has been dead for over a year, uh, but he wrote this fun little trick into his will that says if it is ever revealed that Corinne has had kids with her ex, the guy that died, Christopher, my half-brother, then she disinherits everything. And Chris also loses if she mind. ever has kids in the future, yes. she loses everything. Which that's that's wild. fucked I don't up. know if that's legal. I don't think I you don't can think you put can that say that. Will. No, because <laughs> <laughs> like once you have the money, like okay, spend it, spend the money then, or give yeah. it to somebody else. Also, who is going to tattle on you? Corinne? To whom? Your husband Bart, who is the attorney. Yeah, like, is he gonna be? He's not gonna tell. Maybe he wrote that in because he didn't want to have kids. Maybe, except not because that's a plot point in the future books. <laughs> uh, and then he learns. He learns that uh, the the servants who start talking about, oh, there must be so many mice in that one bedroom and in the attic. Because the grandmother takes enough rat poison up there every day to kill an entire army of rats. And Chris is like, yeah. poison, our illnesses, Corey's death. Uh, and after testing the donuts, the donuts that look like powdered substance after after testing a little bit of powdered donut. And Corey ate a lot. Corey of. loved that. Uh, he tests one of the donuts on a rat. The rat immediately dies. And they're like, we got it. We got OK. So Chris comes back. He tells all this news to Kathy who's absolutely devastated as well. They take the dead rat and the and the powdered donuts they have left with them as evidence of, of whoever's wrongdoing, and they all leave the house finally. They, they, they walk in the early morning hours before anyone, even grandmother, is awake. They walk to the train station that they, they arrived at so many years ago, and they look back at the house and they see the grandmother watching them from the window. And Kathy is like, you know, maybe she was all right after all, because she did tell us three years ago to never eat any cakes or donuts that she brought us or that she would never bring us <laughs> any. So we wouldn't we could never eat them. So we should have listened. There's there's also a thing in here about because Kathy is like when when uh, Chris reveals this whole thing, Kathy's like, oh, my God, grandma did it. And Chris is like. 
no, think about it. Like, basically the timing uh, led them to believe that their mom was the one who was actively trying to poison yes. them. So, yeah. And you could make the case, I think, that the grandma was uh, trying to at least keep them alive a couple times in terms mm-hmm. of the donuts with that and also with There's the f- one time she brought them flowers. Yeah. No, I was going to say that she was the one who, like, went to get the mom and be like, no, you need to take them to the hospital. Yeah. Like, perhaps maybe she was actually trying to keep them alive. I don't know. It's not clear. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very odd. And then and then when they get – so they take the train to Charlottesville because this all takes place in Virginia, I think. Uh, they take the train to Charlottesville, and from Charlottesville they're going to hitch a ride to Florida on the train. And uh, Chris is like, should we keep this dead mouse and donuts? Like, is this a thing we want to do? It's going to drag us all into the public eye. And Kathy's like, that sounds like a lot of work. So they throw away the rat <laughs> and the donuts, and then they – they go to Florida dreaming of their revenge and that's it that's the end of this book that's it but it's not the end of the Good series Lord. which is going to bring us to our yay game. a game whatever happened to the Dolengangers um so I've got a few questions okay. here about various characters from the series and what their fate is um which will also hopefully shed some light on what happens in the rest of the series yes yes uh first off whatever happened to carrie uh she is of course very upset by the death of her twin and unfortunately she dies later on in the book series but what does she die of uh does carrie die a from the effects of the arsenic Uh b she dies from suicide because she has internalized her grandmother's religious rhetoric C, she dies in childbirth after having an affair with her brother Chris. Stop! Or D, she dies from natural causes. Whatever happened to Carrie? I don't think it's D. You wouldn't have asked this question if it was D, or would you have? Is it reverse psychology? I'm so bad at these games, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say she chooses to take her own life. Final answer? Yeah. Correct. She has internalized the religious rhetoric. She becomes engaged to a preacher. Oh, God. Carrie. Um, but then is so, so worried about the fact that she is demon spawn. She then runs into her mother, who pretends to not know her. And as a result, she ends up taking her own oh life. Oh, my God. Um, the mo- she runs upsetting. into the mom, and the mom pretends to not know her. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, is it yeah. part of the game, or can I ask you, how tall does Carrie end up being? Because <laughs> she's still, like, three feet tall at the age of seven. She does, I believe, end up being, like, fully grown. She's slightly weaker, okay. but, like, she's, like, little frail girl, but, like, not But in a sexy so, way. In a sexy way, exactly. Gross. Okay. Um, okay. Question two. Whatever happened to Corinne? Uh, Corinne is the villain of this piece, but she is eventually... Uh, given a more um, uh, sympathetic ending in one of these books. So whatever happens to Corinne to make us uh, forgive her for her actions? A, she rescues Kathy from an abusive relationship by murdering Kathy's first husband, but dies in the ensuing fight. B, she rescues Kathy from a house fire accidentally set by Kathy, (laughs) but then dies when her dress catches on fire. (laughs) C, she rescues Kathy from organ failure after discovering she is a donor match, but does so by offing herself to leave the organs to her daughter. Or D, she rescues Kathy from an attempted poisoning by eating the dish meant for Kathy and then dying. 
I whatever happened to Corinne? I think Corinne would be the old like she would be she would go so hard on being a martyr that it would be C. She'd be like, I'm going to, I'm going to redeem myself so hard for these kids. I'm going to give her all my organs. She only needed one kidney. She can have all of my organs. And then she's going to, she's going to do that. I think it's C that feels the most Corinne to me. Uh, you are incorrect. No! She rescues Kathy from a house fire. How? Accidentally she's set just showing by Kathy. Up. She's just showing up. Oh, a fire. Let me show up. In the third book, she um, sneaks back into Kathy's life by uh, becoming her neighbor and then Gross. Why? starting a grand a grandmotherly relationship with one of Kathy's children. Oh, that means they have um, sex, probably. Gross. Someone does. <sighs> no. Um, <laughs> and uh, Corinne and the butler um, begin getting that kid to like towards their side. And they at one point convince him that he is the reincarnation of Malcolm. Stop. Um, What the fuck is going on in these books? (laughs) Uh, This all leads to the butler, um, like kidnapping Kathy and Corinne and the kid, I think um, all in like a cellar somewhere. And then, Kathy and Corinne get in a fight, and in the fight, Kathy knocks over a bunch of candles and lets the, lights the house on fire. Corinne convinces they- the kid to go get Kathy's romantic partner at the time, who I'm not saying their name because that is going to be one of these questions. Oh, um, my God. She convinces the kid to go get Kathy's romantic partner, but she uh, gets Kathy out of the fire. The guy, the butler, then tries to kill Kathy. Corinne... Um, fights him off and saves Kathy from both the fire and the murderer and then her dress catches on fire and she uh, chokes on smoke and dies good I mean Um, so that's what happens I'm glad it was probably an awful way to go um I just I hate these where it's like oh some candles fell over and then they couldn't put the fire out like did you even try though Mm. I don't know it's just some candles who can say it's not gonna start a whole house fire immediately anyway all right, question three. Okay. Whatever happened to Olivia? Now, you may be asking, who is Olivia? Olivia is the name of the grandmother. Fuck and her. she gets her own book that is like a flashback to all of the shit that no. was going on at the time. This is just like she, the President like her... Snow Hunger Games book. We don't uh-huh. need it. Yes. Um. So what incestuous secret is revealed in Olivia's oh, book? Oh, God. A, it is revealed that she and Malcolm are actually cousins. Hmm. B, it is revealed that Corinne is not Olivia's daughter, but is actually the daughter of Malcolm and Alicia, Christopher Sr.'s mom. Oh. C, it is revealed that Corinne is not Malcolm's daughter, but the daughter of Olivia and her third cousin, Joel, who serves at Foxworth as a butler. (sighs) Or D, it is revealed that Olivia was actually having an affair with her brother-in-law, Christopher Sr., a.k.a. the father, which is why she really hated Corinne and her children. Oh, my word. Okay. there's a, there, I like several options. Obviously, the ones where Corinne is not the child of both of the two parents because mm-hmm. that explains a lot to me. But then you said that fourth one, and I was like, ooh, that's so tasty. <laughs> but I'm going to say that Olivia is not the biological mother of Corinne. And that Malcolm was having an affair with Alicia. And that is why Olivia is so angry all the time. 
You are correct. Yes. Alicia is actually Corinne's mother, making Corinne and Christopher, in fact, half-siblings and half, not Disgusting. Half uncle. Disgusting. Um, it, they made it worse. Book, they, they made, made it, it worse. worse. And there's so they much made of it. it. Worse. Why is there so much um, of it? At what point do you say we've reached the quota for incest in this family? <laughs> At one point I was trying to do a family tree and it got too complicated. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, basically Mal- when Alicia marries uh, Malcolm's father, Malcolm falls in love with her. Um, Malcolm has this whole thing about how he hates all beautiful women. Of and that's he why does. he married Olivia, who is so ugly oh, and tall. That's um, so sad. <laughs> But then Olivia has the two boys and then can't have any more kids. So Malcolm is like so mad that he can't That's have a daughter. That's why he doted on, she doted on the boys. Uh-huh. Mm. And then he had um, uh, Corinne with Alicia, but his father walked in on them while they were like in process of consummating that and, no. and having uh, Corinne. And um, so Malcolm and his father got in a fight. Malcolm and Malcolm ends up. I believe the father dies of a heart attack because everybody in these books dies of, of heart attacks or car crashes. Um, so the the father dies of a heart attack. Malcolm then has Ali- uh, Malcolm and Olivia decide that the only thing to do is to have Alicia move into the attic until she gives birth, and then they will raise the child as their own. So Alicia lives in the attic for nine months, and then they ship her off with Christopher oh, uh, wow. Senior until she eventually dies. So that's the secret of the them. attic, maybe. that's one of the yeah i think that's one of the secrets of the attic also uh explains a bit more why they were so so pissed off about the relationship because like half uncle is bad but i feel like for the 40s people probably would have been okay with it yeah um but half brother i feel like even that would have been like yeah 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 yeah. too close but we can't reveal all of our secrets so right um final question okay whatever happens to kathy uh Kathy does become a famous ballerina and has several romances. Wow, good for her. I'm going to tell you five possible romances, and I want to tell you which one is not a romance that happens in these books. Okay, okay. A. Uh, she marries a fellow ba- ballet dancer named Julian. They have one son named Jory. Julian is abusive, but eventually kills himself after an injury in a car accident destroys his ability to dance. Hmm. Uh, B. She has a relationship with her half-uncle, Joel, who is revealed to not be dead after all, but has been living in an Italian monastery. The pair have twins, Deirdre and Darren, and remain together until Kathy's death at the end of the series. Uh, C. She marries Paul Sheffield, a doctor who adopts the Dolan Gangers in the second oh, book. Stop! The two begin a sexual relationship when Kathy turns 16, but despite plans to marry end the relationship when it was is revealed that Paul was married to another woman at the time oh their affair began. God. They reignite their relationship years later. They have no children, and Paul eventually dies of heart trouble but not before Paul gives Kathy his blessing to go fuck her brother once he's dead. Oh, my God. D, she has an affair with her stepfather, Bart, in an attempt to get revenge on her mother. That was what I was kind of hoping. (laughs) She and Bart have a son together, also named Bart. Stop. (laughs) Stop. The elder Bart 
is killed in a fire at Foxworth Hall set by his wife, Corinne. Or E, she marries Chris. The two adopt a daughter named Cindy together. Chris eventually dies on his way home from a doctor's convention in Chicago in a hit-and-run accident when he got out of his car to help a man who was run over. (sighs) Okay. Golly. These are, you detail out five very long-term relationships, it sounds to me. Yeah, yeah. And four of these are accurate, and one of them, only one of them is not. Four of these are accurate, and also, uh, I believe, yeah, all four happen in book two. (laughs) Jesus Christ, Kathy. What a life. More or less. There are some details, like the ending of the relationship might happen later in the series, but... Um, okay. I want, I really so want the relationship with Bart to be real. So I'm going to say that one okay. is true because I was like, cause Kathy at the end of this book, I didn't really mention, but she's got like, she's got such an anger and she's like, one of these days I'm going to have both my mother and my grandmother under my whip and then we'll see what happens. Uh, so I really want to believe that that one is true. Do you want me to tell you if they're true or not? Yes. As you say, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, the one with Bart does happen. Um, he is he is torn between Corinne and Kathy because he is married to Corinne, but he really wants kids, uh-huh. which is why the Corinne thing is like he's like, well, I can never have kids with Corinne. Might as well um, just date her. You slightly younger double. Date her. I don't know if he knows that it's her daughter. I didn't read that far, yeah. but uh, he does end up dying when Corinne sets the hall on fire and he runs back in to save Olivia. Um, oh, and I believe why would they, he they bother do both. to save Olivia? Just let Olivia Because he die. doesn't understand all the fucked up shit oh, that's going on in God. this family. So yes, she does get together with Bart. Okay. I really also want the Joel thing to be true. But so so here's okay. where my mind is leaning right now. My mind is leaning that the first one is is false, is a falsehood. But I think just because that one is like the least dynamic out of all of these, like I really like the the last four really feel dramatic and and uh-huh. entertaining in the way that this series has like set a precedent for but there is also like the possibility that this was like a first her first romance that she tried out it was with a stranger she wasn't related to clearly that didn't work <laughs> out he died <laughs> he abused her and then died uh so she's got to go back to these men that she's related to but if but if she was with Paul so these two contradict each other don't they if she was with Paul <laughs> no I'm gonna go with my gut I'm gonna say I think the first one is false uh and the rest of them are true okay when she is 16 she begins an affair with Paul uh huh uh she everything I said in the Paul thing is 100% how this goes so (laughs) disgusting when she's 18 they break off their relationship okay. because of the, like, he has an evil sister or something who's like, he was married. Uh-huh. Um, and this upsets her. Okay. Okay. But the wife is dead at the point, at that point in the story. Um, she then moves on to her fellow ballet. Ah, damn it. Uh, Julian is abusive to the point where he does not let her go see Paul or Chris anymore, uh-huh. which some may see say is abusive, and some may say no, that's is a good her thing. husband trying to keep her away from the men who abused her. But you know, potato, potato. <laughs> but I think he also is terrible in other ways and cheats on her and all this other stuff uh-huh. and hits her and okay. things. Yes, that's so also bad. Yes, that's her second one. Then she goes back 
or then she goes to Bart. Um, she has the kid, Jory, with Julian. Then she goes to Bart, gets pregnant with him. Bart, I believe, dies before she has the son. Uh, she marries Paul until his death, um, which is like a few years later. Paul is like, go be with Chris. He He's waited for you all this time. That's he disgusting. So she moves to California with Chris. They eventually adopt a daughter named Cindy, and they've raised the three kids together. Joel does show back up. He's like Hell a yeah. villain in the fourth book. Oh, damn. But it's, it's just to, like, whisper to Bart, like more religious stuff and try to get because Bart like keeps being Bart is the one who um Bart Jr. is the one who is convinced that he is the reincarnation of Malcolm at one point um so yeah he keeps kind of being the one who gets uh is susceptible to the other uh relatives and their wicked lies and stuff um the books do end with Chris does die in an accident um Kathy uh, leaves notes to all of her like various assorted children and grandchildren. There are grandchildren at that mm-hmm. point. And then she goes back to the attic, um, it, not the original attic because that one burned down, but they've rebuilt it. Um, she goes to the attic and I think puts a bunch of flowers around and just dies in a rocking chair oh, in the attic. Oh, God. And that's, that's sad. Like, Why would series. you go back there know, ever? Right? That's terrible. Because it's where her love with Chris started. Oh, that's so nasty that she, that the thing, that, the most romantic aspect of this is her relationship with her brother. Like that was the one that uh-huh. she was meant to have the entire time. That is so wrong. Yep. And they said they're like together for books three, four and five, I believe. Um, oh my God. I think the third one is like Bart and Jory find out about the fact that they're actually siblings. Cause they've been keeping it on the DL. And then like at the end of that book, they're like, no, yeah, we definitely need to never tell anyone that we're related. Ever oh my again. God. That's some but fucked yeah, that's up the flowers shit. And that's that's the dollar. I'm depressed again. Gang. I'm so depressed. <laughs> oh, in 1994, this book was removed from the uh, county right next door to us, the school libraries, due to the filthiness oh. of the material. I wonder if it's still banned. I mean, there. look, I'm how did I get it? Against, I'm against censorship, but also in this one case, I do get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> we they, yeah we probably don't need this entire series. That's really available now. <laughs> oh, this was so distressing. I'm I'm happy to have moved on. I'm ready to get back to these stupid ass cats now. <laughs> uh, which, yes, we will be back with a Meow Meow Monday next week. Yes. With uh, arc two of the Warrior Cat series, number four, Starlight. Um, the week after that, we are going to be starting a new submitted unit with a topic, I guess, or, or trope. Suggested by one of our listeners, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Uh, I say listeners, but also person who we are friends with in real life. Um, she has suggested most that importantly, we, listener. No, most, most importantly, <laughs> listener. Um, she has suggested that we read books that fall under what she calls sad girl books. Girl is sad or has trauma. There is romance, and the book ends in a happy way. And she suggested as a author that specializes in this, which I agree with, to check out Sarah Dessen, who I have read a lot of books of hers as a teenager, but I remember none of them. Perfect. I've never read any Sarah Dessen. We're going to be reading Someone Like You by Sarah Dessen Mm -hmm. next week or two weeks from now to kick that off. In the meantime, if there is a book or 
unit you would like for us to cover on the podcast, either because you think we would love it or hate it, you can tweet at us at shelfawarecast or email us shelfawarecast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should because I promise next week will be a palate cleanser with cats and uh, then we'll get real sad again the week after that. So I I, I mean, maybe don't subscribe then, I guess. I guess. up to you. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you don't, that's all right, because you are allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you like. In the words of VC Andrews, Kathy, mama was at the door. Don't just stand there and cry. A room is just a room. You'll live in many rooms before you die. So hurry up. (laughs) Yikes. that let's join vc andrews and her <laughs> delightful cast of doll like children dresden doll is that where is that where amanda palmer got the name dresden dolls? i assume that that is referring to a specific type of dolls oh okay and i because why why would they call them that that's an excellent that question <laughs> i feel like there's probably like a specific type of like china doll or something like that but it's called a dresden doll i could be wrong about this though let's see and i would assume that both vc andrews and amanda palmer who is a problem but you know whatever Mm -hmm. um both got the name dresden dolls from an actual doll but she says the name according to palmer was inspired by a combination of things including the firebombing of dresden germany and the porcelain dolls that were a hallmark of pre-war dresden industry an earlier song yeah. of the same name by the fall and a reference to the vc andrews novel flowers in the attic okay okay but so there is a oh no i just looked up a dresden doll and i don't like it okay okay about to look them up all i'm getting are pictures of amanda pa- oh uh, look up Perry and doll. No, that oh, was no, the very first one with this big mistakenly referred to as a Dresden doll. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. It's a Dresden doll then. Why is that a mistake? I think it's this. Do you see the one with the blue dress with the gold flowers on it and the tall blonde hair? Okay. Yeah. Perhaps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that oh. Perry and doll is terrifying. I have to leave the Google Perian now. Perry and doll is no good. <laughs> I hated that.